Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Happy to be with you folks for another week of National Crawford Roundtable with myself, Bob Duco, uh, Roger Marsh, John Rush, and Neil Boron is not with us today. Guys, what's all this about? I mean, Neil just abandoned us. Actually, he's on a much-deserved vacation. So I guess yes. uh, in honor of Colin Kaepernick, this is a no-Neil zone today uh, on the podcast. But I know. But you know what? We'll get we'll get through somehow with uh, without him. So how you guys doing? Huh? How's your week? Any anything going on in the news? Anybody's really paying attention? Want to be nice when we can actually get back to trying to come up with things to talk about on the podcast instead of just dealing with the <laughs> the, the, the fire consuming America. Right. The stories uh, don't write themselves the way they do right now. That's for sure. Oh, I know. I know. Tell me about it. Well, uh, obviously, we're going to today uh, start a uh, talk. Talk about the the big things going on, the latest in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder, the defund the police movements, uh, the the belief that there's systematic and uh, really systemic racism throughout law enforcement in this country. Uh, how bad is it really? The Black Lives Matter movement right now that's gained a lot of steam again. And so, gentlemen, I'd like to start by talking about this this defund the police movement because i have to say i i really feel like i'm in the twilight zone i i can't even believe that this is something that we're discussing we're debating we're actually having to lay out the pro and con arguments of defunding the police but i've shared these statistics before and i just want to run through uh again real quick in Minneapolis, which has really started the defund the police movement, uh, they're projected, according to CityRating.com, which tracks the uh, crimes and such, their projections so far for the year of 2020, 37 murders, 412 rapes, over 1,600 robberies, over 1,000 car thefts, over 1,600 aggravated assaults, nearly 2,500 burglaries, over 3,700 violent crimes, and over 12,500 larcenies and thefts. Uh, this is what's happening in Minneapolis already without all of the protesting going on. Now we talk about removing the police on top of everything else, uh, and in some crazy, twisted, Twilight Zone type of thinking, they actually believe that this is going to reduce crime instead of increase it. We look what's happening in Seattle right now, and this area that they're calling CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. you got about six blocks that have several hundred residential homes in them that the the anarchists have taken control police are not allowed in there uh the they're claiming that this is their own non-united states area I, i mean i look at stuff like this and i think who's getting hurt more than anybody else and who's high-fiving each other? The people that are getting hurt are predominantly minorities in these communities. And the people that are high-fiving each other are the rapists, the murderers, the carjackers, the drug dealers. They've got to be laughing their way through this whole thing. And so I want to go around the table first and talk with you guys about this. And actually, Roger, I'd like to start with you out there in the People's Republic of Southern California, or all of California, really. We know that Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, just a week ago, 
announced a $150 million uh, reduction in defunding, reducing funding for the police force in L.A. Well, guess what? One week later, LAPD reports there's a 250% increase in homicides in just the last week. Uh, What in the world am I missing here, Roger? This is going insane. What's your take on all of this? Well, basically what you have is something that we've seen happen across the country. It's been going on for years, and now it's just kind of amplified and magnified. And that is the fact that you've got some governors and mayors and things of that nature who predominantly are Democrat. I mean, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but predominantly a Democrat who will pander to a crowd as opposed to try to work a solution. The Democrat control in the city of Los Angeles for at least the last 30 years has gone from Tom Bradley, who was kind of a more moderate centrist type of guy, all the way to Garcetti right now, who will literally do things like what you just described. The fact that he will look at the protests kind of, you know, first they go from this hyper curfew, if you're not wearing a mask, we, we demand your papers, to, right. oh, you know what, burn, baby, burn, it's no big deal. And oh, by the way, you want to defund the police? Well, we're going to cut our budget. After the police and the unions have been screaming for more money every year, and they always get it. The last big round of increases to police were supposed to, quote, unquote, fight homelessness. And all it did was pad overtimes and pensions. So the, the idea that he would stand there with a straight face at Parker Center and say, oh, we're going to cut the budget $150 million, had everybody scrambling, not least of which the unions and the police officers, but that was completely to cater to the crowd. And as you so duly noted, when you tell people there's less police, there's less patrol, there's less enforcement, then of course this is going to happen. Now, I'm not suggesting that other cities that don't have a, you know, maybe a similar problem wouldn't look at reducing money in one area and redirecting it somewhere else. But he just made a political speech. I mean, and it was ridiculous. And unfortunately, the numbers bear out the fact that he was just doing it for the cameras and, and you see the result. Yeah. John, John Rush, of course, rushed reason out of Denver. What's your take on all of this? And the fact that the defund the police movement is not just some crazy thing that, oh, you know, Cornell West happened to say one night on MSNBC. This is actually a movement gaining steam that the Democrats themselves are tacitly giving approval to by at a minimum not condemning it and at a maximum giving kind of tepid opposition to it Mm -hmm. and most of them are just staying silent about how in the world can a movement like this be gaining steam Uh, because the liberal mantra is to literally take over the country from the inside out which is exactly what they're doing right now and if they could have in their mind and i believe this sincerely what's going on in seattle on a nationwide basis so that some other new rule of law, and I say new as in their own rule of law, not a constitutional republic, but their rule of law, whereby they rule over everyone else. That's exactly, you know, Bob and Roger, their their goal. So basically, they're, they're just right on the same track of where they want to be right now in all of this. And something else that needs to be reminded of people as well is when they say defund, that's not really the correct word. It's a readjustment of funds is what it is. They're not defunding anything. They're going to take the same amount of money and put it into other type of quote-unquote social programs in a city and, and thereby just shift things around. They're not defunding anything. They're just moving money around. Yeah. Actually, that's a really important point that you make. You're right, because there's no liberal Democrat that's going to say, hey, let's spend less money on things. No. What they're going to do is they're going to reprioritize where they spend money and say, hey, we shouldn't be spending all this money in law enforcement. Let's spend it over and above. You know, I got to tell you guys, I had a uh, 
I know you've been talking about and debating this on, on your own shows. I had a a lady call in to my uh, my Friday free for all Friday, and she was debating me on this, and she supported the quote unquote defunding the the police thing, and she was at, she sounded like a fairly intelligent, articulate lady. But she was trying to make the case that the murders and the crimes and the, the the rapes and the carjackings and everything else, that they will go down, they will kind of go away if we just stop having law enforcement, if those funds are allocated toward a lot of the same kind of platitude statements here, uh, re-education and, uh, and, and counseling and services and community services and things like that. And I'm like, what? and I'm asking her, will you tell me what carjacker what rapist what murderer what drug dealer is going to say oh wait a minute i can already go to a community seminar to tell me not to be a criminal i choose not to but now there's three other additional seminars that i can go to instead so i guess i'll turn over my life of crime and look for gainful employment do you really believe that that's what they're going to do and i'll tell you it was like talking to a star trek holodeck character i couldn't get her to connect with reality to say wait a minute here you're right they're not going to do that the criminal element is not going to suddenly turn over a new leaf just because there are three different educational seminar opportunities for them to go to in the community instead of two uh i I just but this speaks to and and roger uh, get your take on this to me this speaks to a certain myopic cluelessness that many of these people on the left have i think there are a lot of people who genuinely honestly believe that society will be safer if we just reduce the amount of police presence and somehow education programs is going to cause criminals to put down their guns yeah that's something the left has been preaching for forever i mean and progressives have a very interesting way of going about things like this because i'm not even sure they realize what progress quote-unquote means to them any sort of institution marriage family church whatever it is is seen as an enemy to the left. I mean, this is anecdotal for me. I'm not citing, quoting any one source in particular, but from what I've studied and what you guys have studied too. So what's happening now in terms of the emotion with George Floyd and the and the riots and the protests, and I just differentiate between the two as we did last week. You know, there are people who really think they're standing up for change and other people who say, burn, baby, burn. But the progressives are looking at like the police department and saying, okay, look, we've got a problem with rogue cops. We've got a problem in certain areas where maybe folks get stuck in life of crime, that cycle, and they can't break out of it. Well, the problem can't just be the people because we can, you know, progressives love seminars. You know, let's talk about this all day long. We don't have to have any actions. As long as we feel mm-hmm. good about what we're doing, we don't have to have any actions. And so right. it, it, don't hold us accountable for what we're trying to propose. So the idea is, well, if this is a problem, let's defund the police. And it's amazing how many people will use the what I call the Bill Russell School of Theology, which is the guy who, you know, former NBA star, legendary right player for the he was a sports analyst and he said hey you know, every time you see the crowd going crazy over something like that crowds don't think they just react you know they're reacting right. to what they're watching in the game and so right now you've got this mob mentality it's kind of a perfect storm for this where they're saying okay well obviously if george floyd died and it was police brutality we should defund the police and look at all the extra money we'll have for our you know rainbow projects and our save the whales projects and whatever else we want to do <laughs> that kind of utopia because they're not thinking <clears throat> what's this look like 90 days from now what does it look like a year from now they're thinking right now i will feel better about myself if we don't have police departments and we take all this money and we put it toward you know uh, spreading pixie dust all over seattle or whatever the right. whatever the, the end game would be today it's crazy and, right and never mind 
the criminals out there high-fiving each other, and who are the people that suffers more than anybody else? Predominantly minority families that just want mm-hmm. to live in peace in these communities. But hey, out of sight, out of mind, because the bottom line is uh, we got to push some more left-wing agenda issues uh, with the money that could have gone to protecting these folks. Let's take a short break, and we'll pick up the conversation next here on the Crawford Roundtable podcast. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth for Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthfullife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth for Life from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. This National Crawford Roundtable podcast with myself, Bob Duco, out of Detroit. John Rush, Rush to Reason, out of Denver. Roger Marsh, the bottom line, out of Southern California. Normally, we're joined by Neil Boron. Neil Boron live out of Buffalo, New York. But Neil's on a much-deserved vacation this week, and so we'll just talk about him behind his back. Talking about the... uh, Talking about the uh, aftermath, of course, that continues from the George Floyd murder and the defund the police movement. Gentlemen, I'd like to shift the conversation now toward the underlying premise of the Black Lives Matter marches themselves. The underlying premise here is that there's systemic racism in law enforcement. Now, we all agree that there are individuals who are going to be racist, individual bad cops. I mean, we all get that. And there always will be, sense. by the way. Of yeah. course there will be. We, lo- human we nature, live in a fallen we, world. Know, we live in a fallen world that's going to happen. Right. It, it is. And so, But I, I think to myself, okay, well, let's look at teachers, school teachers. How many times have we seen stories of school teachers who molest students? Correct. Things like that happen. However, yes. we would never condition our children to be afraid of your school teacher with an assumption that you're going to get molested. Very same thing we see stories of the dentist who, uh, when the woman is under the, the gas, that he fondles her. Okay, But we would never want to create an atmosphere where we broad brush dentists to tell women, you need to assume that's going to happen to you. Same thing. I see stories, we all do, of clergy, of pastors right. who right. embezzle from their church. But we, we would never say... Don't give money to the church because you should assume that that pastor is going to steal from it. We can go on down the line, whether it's yes. youth youth ministers who molest children and this sort of oh doctors with malpractice. Okay, uh, but for some reason, we have conditioned young black men to believe that if you have an encounter with a white police officer, you are in danger. You should assume that your life is in danger and take a fight or flight mode with that police officer. The problem is the statistics, the data don't back up this belief. But unfortunately, this is the underlying premise of the entire Black Lives Matter movement. And you have a lot of people in America that have been convinced of this lie. Agree. And real quick, Bob, the other thing I wanted to jump in sort of ties in with the defund the police movement and what you're talking about. And one thing that I I will say, and and I am big on this one, is I do feel like a lot of the issues that we have, even inside of certain police forces, come from 
the unions. And I'm anti-union across the board. I'm anti-union when it comes to teachers. I'm anti-union when it comes to building cars. I'm anti-union mm-hmm. when it comes to running police forces. And I will tell you that you look at Minnesota and you look at what happened in Minneapolis. And, and the reality is you could go back and blame the police union for a lot of the, the, if you want to call it systemic problems, a lot of the problems in Minneapolis come from the fact that there is a union there that allow these guys and, and really fight for these guys to continue to keep their job, whereby if they were regular county or city employees, they would not have had a job. In fact, that officer probably would not be working today if that weren't the case. And if he was, it would be in some small town USA. He wouldn't be in a big city, most likely. So if there's anything we should actually, I believe, defund, and by the way, Camden, New Jersey did this, we should defund the union and rehire these police officers in a different mm-hmm. manner. And honestly, if you did that, you might see a lot of what they're even complaining about go away. Yeah, uh, Camden was an interesting case study because didn't they lower their crime rate by about fifty percent? Well, the yeah, they were able to were- they were able to cut the cost per officer to about eighty three thousand dollars less. It was costing one hundred eighty three thousand mm-hmm. per officer with the union, because of the union. and around a yeah. hundred thousand dollars without the union, which means they almost doubled their police force, thereby lowering crime rate. Which also proves that defunding police and letting less of them on the streets is not an answer. Having more right. in certain cases is actually a better answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe good luck the getting should be, the liberals to embrace uh, well, cutting back say, the unions. <laughs> yeah, they they love unions, and maybe if you change the mantra to defund police unions instead of defund police, it'd be interesting to see how many people. Because huh. that's in essence, John, what you're saying. That's what yes. needs to happen. But yes. that that isn't as sexy. If I can use that, no, it's not. Radio. No, it's not. It doesn't, not it doesn't fit their mantra. Yeah, you know, it's not such a good point though that that you're bringing up here, John, because the we we look at somebody like Derek Chauvin. And there's universal condemnation when we look at this guy. But the Derek Chauvin's, the bad apples that exist within police departments, you're absolutely right. They're there because the unions are fighting on behalf of them and making it almost impossible to fire a police officer or displace them somehow. That's right. And it's no different, guys, when you look at you know, teachers unions or anything else out there. I mean, think about the bad apples you find on the teacher end of things that have been able to be in a classroom for all the years where if they were in, you know, a private education or even a charter school, they never would have made it. And that's a great point. That is a great point. Let's uh, let's explore the, the, the underlying premise that there is, in fact, systemic racism in law enforcement i know we've all done a lot of research in this area but i'd like let me take just a couple of minutes and i want to throw out some stats for for our listeners right now to to digest okay 75 percent of all police shooting deaths in the united states are non-black 75 percent 25 percent are uh black now what we hear from like washington post and places like this is that well, two times more black people are killed than white people, according to their population, because they only make up 13.5% of the population, but they're 25% of the shootings. But here's where that's a dishonest statistic. The shootings overwhelmingly take place in high-crime neighborhoods, which are predominantly African-American. Here in Detroit, for example, the black population is 79%. White population is 14.5%. So while you have communities where the shootings and the crime predominantly happen, they are overwhelmingly black you don't have an overwhelmingly black representation in the in the people that are shot. According to the FBI, 53% of all murders in America are carried out by African Americans, 60% of robberies, yet only 25% of the police shootings are on black people. I looked up the numbers from the FBI from 2017 
through present day, so three and a half years, in America, the amount of people killed by police, blacks, 698, whites, 1,268, of unarmed deaths. Last year in 2019, there were a total of nine, count them, nine unarmed African Americans who died uh, from police, unarmed. Now, in most of those cases were unarmed African Americans who were fighting and wrestling with the police and the, the trying to get their gun from them and were shot in the process, but that's categorized as a, quote, unarmed death. However, there were 19 unarmed white men killed last year by police. Nobody knows any of their names. There's no TV broadcasts of their funerals or memorial services. Uh, you don't have household names or images are not on TV screens across the country. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reports, statistically, a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a cop. And then just a couple of final uh, studies done on this. Roland Fryer is an African-American Harvard University professor. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's the youngest black professor to ever have tenure at Harvard University. He's also a liberal Democrat. He's also a Black Lives Matter supporter. And in 2016, he did an exhaustive study of 10 of the largest metropolitan areas in America with a team of 3,000 student researchers working with him. And he admitted he started this study for the purpose of trying to prove true the Black Lives Matter underlying premise. And what he found at the end of this study was, on one hand, it is true that African Americans tend to be physically handled by police more often than whites. But as far as lethal force, deadly force, that police are less likely to shoot a black suspect than they are to shoot a white suspect. And Professor Fryer called this, quote, the most surprising result of my career, end quote. And then finally, the National Academy of Sciences just published August 6th of 2019 an exhaustive study on the issue of race and police. And this was put out by the University of California, Berkeley, not right wing at all. And what they concluded in this, their report shows that black people are less likely to be shot than white people in the typical shooting. They say, quote, we did not find evidence of anti-black disparity, end quote. Now, I look at all of these numbers. I look at all of these stats. I look at all of these studies, uh, and none of them are right-wing studies or stats. Based on these facts, it seems to me, gentlemen, that uh, the American left and the Black Lives Matter movement and the Democrats ought to look at numbers like this, breathe a sigh of relief, and say, okay, that's good news because we don't want systemic racism to truly exist in law enforcement. The problem is... The numbers that I just now gave, you're, a lot of liberal Democrats would get angry hearing these numbers. They'd be frustrated that that's the case. And that tells me, uh, quite frankly, I think a lot of people in this country on the political left want it to be true that there's systemic racism in law enforcement. They want that to be true. They wish that the numbers would prove that out. And that, to me, is a really troubling sign that so many people desire the victim card to be played uh, in this particular situation. So that's my take. A lot of statistics I wanted to throw out. We're going to take a short break, and then I want to get you guys' response to this. We're going to continue on this National Crawford Roundtable podcast next. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gray. 
With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. As we continue the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, uh, the vacationing Neil Boron is not with us today. But let me throw this out to you guys. And, and, and Roger, let me start with you. Some of your thoughts on the stats that I just laid out here and why this should be received as good news and relieving news from the political left, but instead it's ignored and the mainstream media refuses to report these numbers. Well, there's a couple different things that, uh, that uh, my ear was drawn to, Bob, as you were sharing those statistics. First of all, I'm grateful that we have any kind of, you know, charting on this and statistical analysis on this, because we like to know the enemy that we're fighting versus, you know, the one that we're not. And so when you look at the statistics, that that's really key. Um, there, You and I, all three of us know that there are those who want to, uh, you know, they're fear mongers. They make a living doing this. They, they, they live in crises. They don't want to see resolution because the more they can convince you that you're scared and you need them to protect you, the longer this is going to keep going on for them. And it's a good deal. One thing I was curious, though, when you're mentioning the statistics in Detroit, because I, I think about Los Angeles and San Francisco and, you know, the areas that the bottom mm-hmm. line covers, too. You mentioned that you have 79 percent of the city is is African-American. Do you get a lot of callers? I mean, who are, I mean, how, how's the audience breakdown of the Bob Duco show in terms of, because mine's you know, a, pretty evenly spread, but how is yours? Uh, interestingly enough, mine is pretty evenly spread, too. We have a lot of uh, African-American callers into the show, a lot of listeners. Many of them are conservative, uh, but, you know, I get my fair amount of debates from uh, well, black callers who are liberal and Democrat. And, you know, th- th- my audience knows that my show is a debate friendly show that, sure. that I always welcome opposing views. And so uh, so we get that. But actually a pretty, pretty strong mix. You'd be surprised how often uh, people listen to my show and black callers are a regular part of of the mix. Well, the reason I ask is because when you hear the statistics and then you talk to people and hear their experiences, Oftentimes, mm-hmm. the experience that they've had is different than, you know, what we're hearing in terms of, hey, it's really not that bad. I did a, a couple hours on Monday with a good friend of mine, uh, Pastor Cedric Brown, who hosts, uh, is a, uh, a pastor in New Jersey, who is the uh, pastor of a multi, uh, multi-ethnic church there. He's got a couple of different campuses. And he grew up in Compton, though, so we kind of have this, you know, we grew up about 20 miles apart. We're about the same age, but we have totally different backgrounds, me being a white kid from Orange County and him being a black kid from Compton. And he said, every time you see a video like this, if you've had a run-in with the police where you were stopped and maybe you weren't tasered, you weren't shot, you weren't beaten up or whatever, but you were roughed up and intimidated by a police officer, it really stays with you. And he says, here I am now in my 50s and I'm watching this video and it's PTSD all over again. And I wonder how many people have had that experience. I mean, I know in my own extended family too. It's one thing to say, statistically, you have a, a greater chance of being struck by lightning than being shot by a police officer. But... But when people have this experience where they have been 
profile. When I was reading the uh, the Christian hip hop artist, I can't remember his name off the top of my head because I wasn't familiar with his his work. But he was said, you know, if you've ever been in the store, you know, and you're that black kid in a in a uh, sporting goods store, and you've been there for a minute and a half, and all of a sudden people start asking you, are you going to buy something because they think you're casing the place, or when you know, with that that look of suspicion, that air of suspicion. And I know in my extended family, you know, because my marriage to Lisa, I know what it's like when you walk into the restaurant and there's really great tables around and they seat you next to the you know the kitchen or something like that that those types of things start to pile up and after a while then when people see a police video like what's happening here if you've had a lousy experience people start connecting the numbers and so i think one of the things about george floyd that has been encouraging is at least people are having the conversation saying i know statistically what you're telling me makes sense to my head but in my heart and in my experience my experience has been something that you know you the three of us haven't had to go through that other people who are in our collective listening audiences have had to go through. So, I mean, I, I appreciate the statistical analysis, but I think in terms of why people are saying, hey, wait, we get, enough is enough, and we've got to really look at the police more objectively this way, it's because they've had that experience where they were kind of pushed around, roughed up by a, a, a police. I don't know what it's like to stand out in the hot sun with my hand on the hood of the police car because they pulled me over because they just wanted to mess with me. That type of thing. So, I mean, I have no concept of that. So, to, for, for us to look at the statistics and say that's one thing, but then to ask somebody, what's your experience, and have them say, yeah, and that was 30 years ago, and it still haunts me, um, I, I think we have to listen to both. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, Roger, let's do this, okay? Let's talk about the experiences part of that, and I know we're going to uh, break here at the bottom of the hour in just a second. I do want to make sure and stress one thing, though. Uh, to me, there are two completely separate debates one debate is the experiences that you're describing, uh, black people that uh, feel as though they are being scrutinized more unfairly by police or by people in uh, stores or things like that. OK, that's a fair debate to have. And I think that we should. Uh, the other debate is the claim that's being made from the Black Lives Matter movement and marches. Because if you look at the signs that people are carrying, those signs don't say, quit looking at me in a retail store. Those signs say, stop killing us. Uh, racist murdering cops, okay? Black genocide. The claim is that black men are in danger for their lives when they encounter a white police officer. And those are the reasons why I think the statistics are extremely relevant to people know that is not true. Uh, there were 19 white unarmed people that were killed by cops last year compared to nine unarmed black men, but nobody knows those 19 white men, so therefore we single out the black men that are killed, and that becomes the perception that that's commonplace. So to me, it's like the statistics say the killing argument is not true and accurate. Now, what about the experiences of just walking through life and the being treated differently as a black person than a white person? Very fair debate to have. Let's dive into that part of it next in the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable. Folks, you can listen to the second half of this podcast online. You can go to Apple Podcasts, uh, which, by the way, we'd love it if you'd review the show. Give us a nice five-star review or Stitcher or TuneIn or Crawford. Crawford.live. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Production.
Continuing the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with myself, Bob Duco, the Bob Duco Show out of Detroit, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California. We don't have Neil Boron with us today of Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. He's on a much deserved vacation. He's and not so, in Seattle, is he? Did he take off to the Emerald you know City what? there? <laughs> I, I, I think he's vacationing in Chaz right yeah, now. Chaz, so. right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but anyway, so. So, Roger, let's deal with the point that uh, that you were bringing up here. Uh, as you were saying that, you know, African-Americans, many of them will say, look, I understand you're telling me the statistics. OK, but these are my experiences. Uh, this is what I experienced. So let me respond by saying that we'll bring John into this, too. Let me just respond by saying, I agree. I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't. I have no doubt that there are cases where black people are getting increased scrutiny uh, that, you know, I walk into a store and a black person walks into a store and the black person gets looked at out of the corner of the eye of the manager more often than the white person does. Do things like that happen? Absolutely. I think we'd be absurd to deny that. Is that wrong? Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. And so I think it's fair to acknowledge those kind of circumstances. What I don't think is fair is to take those kind of experiences and and use that as an excuse to claim that black people are being systemically killed in law enforcement disproportionately over white people and that uh, it's dangerous for your life from law enforcement in this country as an African-American. That, to me, is what stretches it too far. Now, to the point that you're making, Roger, about the experiences— I will say, and I know this is going to be politically incorrect, and some of our African-American listeners may hammer me for this, okay? Uh, I believe that some of those experiences that black people have are genuine and legitimate and really have happened. I honestly believe that some of them have nothing to do with race, but they are assumed to be race. And I say that because I know that there are many times my wife and I have gone to a restaurant and we've been seated near the kitchen or we sat in a booth and we waited and we waited and we waited. And nobody came to us. And then another couple was seated right next to us. And then they ended up getting waited on first. And it had nothing to do with color. Obviously, what it had to do with is uh, we happen to sit in a section where the waitress, you know, goes on break or is behind. But the booth next to us happened to be another waitress's section and she wasn't as busy. And so she was able to get to them quicker. But if we were black then we would take that and mm -hmm. we would add that to the inventory of examples and experiences of being treated differently while black. Uh, I look at cases like that. I look at when I was a district manager of a, of a sportswear chain and I'm wearing a suit and tie and the manager inside the store accidentally with her foot tripped the alarm, the burglar alarm. Uh, it's a silent alarm. The police showed up. There were a lot of cop cars, but they were hidden around the corners, and the police were hiding around the corners of the store. When I walked out the store, I'm carrying a briefcase. Suddenly, they came out of the blue. They knocked the briefcase out of my hand. They shoved me against the wall. They spread my legs. They were very rough with me. I mean, they they hit me hard up against the wall, and I heard the guns cocking. I mean, shotguns. They had several. There were about eight or nine guns, including one shotgun pointed at the the back of my head uh, they roughed me up pretty pretty hard okay now 
I'm not saying that uh, that that kind of thing doesn't happen more often to black people than white people. But what I am saying is, if I were a black person, I would be adding that to the quote-unquote proof that black people are treated differently. So I'm just saying that it does happen to black people, but I honestly, genuinely believe that it doesn't happen as often or as is attributable to race, Roger, as often as often it is perceived by many African-Americans. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. I was just I was watching a video yesterday, and maybe you guys have seen it, where uh, the comedian Michael Jr., who's African-American, was talking about a similar experience he had to what you just described. And I thought, <clears throat> excuse me, wow, how that I don't know what it's like to have a gun cocked and loaded and pointed in my head. I mean, that's a, it was a that's scary crazy. thing. I'll bet. I had about bet. eight guns pointed at my head. Oh, I've never man. had that before. That's that that is that is really wild and i think that kind of goes back to the whole you know training and police and there's you can see all the different moving pieces but you know I, one thing i've just really been moved and maybe it's as i've gotten older and gotten in pastoral ministry you know that that type of stuff i want to hear people's experiences i mean i'm glad you shared yours because I, i'm sure there are a lot of people who kind of go through life thinking well this only happens to and that hasn't been my experience and the more we get together and have these conversations about shared experiences the more you begin to realize, hey, wait a minute. I mean, there are some things that are common to us. Maybe that isn't as tragic as it was. Other times there are things that aren't common and you look back and say, well, wait, why did that happen to you and why didn't that happen to me? I mean, the more dialogue we have and to the point of sure. the, the idea that there, there's a Black Lives Matter movement, which is really insidious when you consider there is a political operative group, Black Lives Matter. And then there are people who are black who are saying, hey, wait, we're black and our lives matter, you know, trying to right. sift through the, you know, the, the, the two. And I'm sure a lot of people are watching the rallies and the protests and saying, OK, well, OK, the protesters are saying, hey, you know, black people shouldn't be killed by police officers. I think everybody in America agrees with that. But then yeah. when you see, you know, how the extreme part of it goes down to now we have Chaz in Seattle, you know, because they're shutting down and saying we want to get the police to abandon their precincts and we're just going to run things ourselves. That sounds more like Antifa than a bunch of African-Americans saying, hey, we're black and our lives matter. So I, 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 I don't I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I think the, the beautiful thing that's happening is moving forward saying, how can we get to the point where we're not just trying to win arguments? Because oftentimes when we present the statistical analysis, it's like, okay, well, this is my experience. Oh, yeah, well, I've got statistics, so your experience doesn't count. Well, no, wait, they're, they're both valid. You know, I mean, I think that's the point I'm trying to make is, is you know, yes, this, you can't argue with the numbers, though. You have to wonder how accurate they are in the reporting. But I, we all do that. We, we're all skeptical of poll numbers and statistics and things like that. You have to consider the source. And you cited, cited some great sources earlier, Bob, and I'm glad you did, because you wouldn't expect UC Berkeley to come out with something that, you know, that came out with the numbers right. that they wouldn't ordinarily want to put out. But in terms of the experience and the, and the conversation, I think that's equally valid. And I think what we're seeing right now in the in the culture is that saying hey let's let's have this conversation let's have this dialogue what was your experience what was your experience i'm going to share your story if you don't mind with people that i know in the african-american community saying wow you should hear what happened to my friend bob because it, it does happen but the perception may be hey it only happens to blacks it only happens mm -hmm. to latinos it only happens mm -hmm. to asians and therefore you know that's and, and that's what you hear in your family conversations that's what you hear in in dialogue with people whom you're around it really just kind of speaks to the fact that we don't know ourselves and we don't know others as well as we like to think we do you know i actually john i'm curious to get your take on something one of the things my boys my older boys have told me i got six boys but four of them are adults uh, my older boys have said the ones that are in their 30s that uh when they were teenagers 
I said, oh, we used to get pulled over by police all the time. We're constantly getting pulled over. and so We get pulled mm-hmm. over, we get hassled, we get questioned all the time. It's like if I'm out with my friends and we're driving and it's, it's midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning, it's like they pull us over for nothing and a question, make us get out of the car, ask us a bunch of questions, looking in the car, whatever. Uh, but now that I'm 30, I don't experience that anymore. But, boy, I sure did experience that when I was 19, 20, 21. Uh, they're all white. So it, it does, once again, I do believe, and as I was telling Ron, Roger, I'm not denying that black people don't experience more of that than white people do, but I believe that if my boys were black, they would be adding that to the inventory of evidences of you can't drive while black. Yes. And I have examples of my own. So when it comes, Bob, you probably could relate to this as well, having a large family. So we had seven kids and I can remember literally being discriminated against for having a large family. Let me explain. Mm. You go to any restaurant and any given night, any, any busy mm-hmm. night, I should say, and even on a night where it's not so busy. And Bob, you can answer this for me as well. Did you ever with all of your kids when you would go out together, especially if you had any additional family members with you, ever get seated at a prime table? Or did you always get shoved back in some corner, oh, especially always. when the kids were little? Because they were always worried about the noise that you as a family might sure. be making, not knowing who you were and that your kids were well-behaved, mine were. But you'd always get shoved to kind of the back end of the, of the restaurant. You'd wait longer to get in than anyone else. I mean, it got to the point where it almost became a chore to go out to eat, yet you wanted to teach the kids what it was like to go out to eat, but yet you got discriminated against every time you went out to eat. No, I, I can I can completely relate to that. I, I know exactly what that's like. Uh, and, but and I if also you were black, under- that gets yeah. added into those statistics again, correct? I mean, you and I weren't, but yet still experienced some of that quote-unquote discrimination, right, wrong, or otherwise. Right. And when I, I guess where I'm going with this, guys, is discrimination because of a fallen world, it's always going to be there. And I hate using the word discrimination, by the way, because we yep. discriminate every single solid day choice that we all make everybody that's listening to this program has discriminated against other programs by listening to this program we 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 discriminate and make choices based upon what we like every single day of the week Right. You know, Roger, I know we got to take a break here, but I'd love to get your take on that. And, and it just seems to me that we don't want to go to one extreme or the other. I don't want to go to one extreme and say the times that uh, black people experience things like this that are legitimately because they're black is zero. No, I don't think that that would be fair. But I do think that what the number is, is uh, what it's perceived to be is actually uh, larger than it actually really is based on race. Because to John's point, uh, as as a white family, we have been relegated to that back area with a bunch of kids many times. But I think if we were a black family, we're liable to be saying, oh, yeah, it's because we're black. That's right. right. No, it's not because uh, we're black. But like I say, I know we got to take a break break, and we'll toss it over to you, Roger. Okay, well, let's do that because, uh, quite frankly, if I were in a restaurant and you guys were in there with your big families, I wouldn't want to be around you either. Just screaming at kids. Trash and, yeah, hey, spit wads and everything. I, that, that's fine. Oh. I'm glad you were put in that corner. We only had three kids in my family, and we were quiet and well respected. Anyway, we'll take a quick break and come back with more in just a moment as the, this edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast continues. Dr. Michael Yusuf leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. 
Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org slash listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing here on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, along with Bob Duco, the Bob Duco Show out of Detroit, uh, John Rush, Rush of Reason out of Denver and KLZ, Neil Boron vacationing in Seattle or somewhere. Uh, he's usually with WDCX in Buffalo when he's not on vacation, and I'm Roger Marsh with the Bottom Line Show here in the People's Republic of California, and we're talking about... Um, the the just the issues that we're seeing in the in the news recently especially as it pertains to the black lives matter rallies the protests and and i think the conversation that we've really kind of glommed onto here guys is the perceptions of racism and systemic racism as it pertains to the police department but then you know how do you how do you you know for the families families that have experienced this and that is the perception how do you then have a conversation and i think the thing that i've I've just noticed in the cancel culture is i'm glad we're having an open-ended dialogue about this because it seems like the cancel culture says i have to win every argument drop the mic and then leave you on twitter you know in a a pile of ashes Mm -hmm. instead of saying let's have this discussion and i think the fact that we started statistically then we went more anecdotally, you know, in terms of uh, the emotions and the experiences and, and what people have had. I, I have a very wise counsel friend of mine who works with people who are dealing with gender dysphoria uh, says, hey, look, when someone comes to me and says, you know, I'm a guy, I really think I'm a girl. I never tell them what he's feeling is wrong. And I said, why is that? He goes, because your feelings aren't wrong. They're yours. I mean, they, they are what they are. That doesn't necessarily change public policy. It's just what you feel and it's what you experience. But you have to figure, OK, that's where people are when they're starting in this conversation. And so I, I sense that uh, we're we've got a golden opportunity here to have more dialogue about, I mean, what you guys described, like I was, I was teasing you about it before the break, but it's, it's very true. My parents are both only children. I don't come from a big boisterous family. I have an older sister, a younger brother. If we went to a restaurant, we just found a table for five and sat there and minded our manners. And it was no big deal. We didn't have anyone looking askance at us because there were so many kids, but I can understand if, if there are only certain places you could go and you had to sit in certain spots, regardless of your, uh, ethnicity because you just had a big family and you were treated differently than perhaps the smaller, quieter Marsh family was, you know, going to a, a restaurant. And I get it. Uh, I, I, I'm curious, Bob, I'll throw, start with you on this kind of pushback then. So you've got one pl- party in power that is, you know, especially the Democrat Party has made a career out of, you know, uh, catering to the, you know, almost pandering to the African-American community and saying, you know, we're here for you. We'll fight for you. But you see more and more people, you know, what's it, uh, the Blexit movement, more and more people are leaving, you know, and going to more of a conservative base. How, what good can come out of what we're experiencing right now, in your opinion, in terms of dialogue, in terms of legislation reform, even just changing perceptions, you know, back to here's what's really going on, not here's what your experience tells you is magnified by a hundredfold everywhere you go. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm a big proponent of, of education and educating people with facts and it just it seems to me that the dialogue is good and important to have there's no doubt uh but the dialogue's got to be based on truth and i think that if if we can get people to realize that wait a minute here black people are not being executed they're not being killed the george floyd murder was an aberration that was not commonplace that's not normally what you see uh and so if we can get at least that perception corrected at the same time if we can get a message clearly that anarchy and rioting and such this is not acceptable and these uh, I, i honestly believe that if we can get that information out on the table 
then we can start having an honest conversation about the legitimate things to discuss, like are you know what remnants of racism do still exist for black people shopping in stores or driving around or, or the way that they're being treated or the way that they're being looked at or whatever. Those I think are fair things to explore and to discuss and okay, fine. And racial profiling should police and law enforcement use racial profiling. If you have a community that is overwhelmingly black and you happen to uh, see some activity and you're suspicious of it, well, should you be more suspicious or ask more questions because the person's black and they happen to fit the profile of more crimes happening in that area? Okay, that's a fine debate to have, but that's not the debate that people are having right now. The debate they're having right now is the claim that black people are under assault from law enforcement, and that, to me, is what's frustrating. So we got to get it down to what the true legitimate discussion is to have, and clear away all of this other exaggerated nonsense that is inflaming tensions in this country that much more. So I just like to have a more honest conversation about this. And by the way, on top of it all, I think it's time to start start pointing the finger at the Democratic Party and say enough is enough. The Democratic Party and liberal policies themselves are being extremely damaging to African Americans in this country and allowing the anarchists to take control of places like parts of Seattle and such is only damaging to minorities more than anybody else in this country. And Mm -hmm. so I say we start calling the left wing out on the carpet more. If we can do that more and not be so afraid and timid because, oh, well, I'm a white guy. I don't know what it's like, so I guess I better not comment on this. I think we got to move past that and have an intelligent and honest conversation. Yeah, I agree. Well, Bob, guys. No, and real quick, guys, Bob, I, I liken this. I know we talked about this. I, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. I've talked about it on my show. But a comparison to this is how conservatives handled abortion. And what I mean by that is at one point in time, you know, a lot of conservatives and a lot of churches and, you know, you, you, I don't know who you can point the blame for this. But, you know, we did lots of, of protests. There were abortion clinics that got burned up. There were people that were being intimidated, you know, young ladies walking into clinics and so on. And frankly, guys totally the wrong way to handle that entire subject. Once we shifted to education and parking ultrasound machines outside of abortion clinics, outside of Planned Parenthood, where where women and and young girls could go in and actually see what their baby actually looks like at 8, 10, 12 weeks of time, and all of these other things that we started to do education-wise, the reality is we have lowered abortions overall year after year after year, and we've done it through, Bob, your point a moment ago, through proper education, not standing outside of a clinic picketing, not, you know, not burning down, you know, clinics, not shooting abortion doctors, which, by the way, has happened in the past, which never should have happened. My point is this. If Black Lives Matter really wanted to learn anything from us as conservatives, learn how we've handled abortion the right way versus the wrong way we used to. No, what a great point. What a great point. And I understand perception and feelings. I mean, they get that, but we all know what it's like to buy a car of a different color. And as soon as you bought that green car, that suddenly every other color. it feels <laughs> every- like there's way more green cars yeah, right. on the street. Okay. But when you look at the statistical data and you realize, wait a minute here, the amount of green cars on the street right now is not more than it was last week, last month, That's or last right. year. Therefore, my feelings are inaccurate. Well, in the very same way, when we see uh, every single time 
an African-American who is unarmed dies at the hands of police, and that becomes the cause celeb, and that person is made famous all across the country, and that's singled out and highlighted, whereas all of the black men who are killed by black police officers don't make the news, where all the white men killed by police officers don't make the news, but only the black men killed by police officers make the news. When that happens, before you know it, our emotions tell us, wow, there's disproportionately more green cars on the freeway, when there's really not. So, again, that's I'm right. not denying what happens to, to some black people when they're inside the store or things like that. Okay. But just as a general rule, the underlying premise does not stand up to the actual facts themselves. Mm-hmm. So Good points. Uh, and and by the way, we should take a break. Yeah. I, know, I know we're up against that right now real quick. Let's do that. We'll take a quick break. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. And we're back, National Crawford Roundtable. Myself, Bob Roger, Neil is out today on vacation, but... Bob, your explanation a moment ago on the car side of the fence, I think, and me being a car guy, it's a great explanation because when you even drive a particular maker model or get a new maker model, not even what, what the color doesn't even matter, you notice mm-hmm. more of that make and model on the on the road when, in fact, right. there may not be any more models running around than there were the day before other than yours. You just see more of them at this point. Right. You know, it's and, interesting, and it's- guys. I was just, I would want to jump in here and say, you know, one of the things we were talking about in terms of how do we have the conversation, and it's funny because for me, the car story is a C-Max. My mom and dad had a Ford C-Max. They got sideswiped, wound up totaling the car. We went back to the Ford dealership. They said, we don't make them anymore. Every day since then, every single day, I see a Ford C-Max on the road. And mm-hmm. I asked myself the question, mm-hmm. why couldn't I buy one for my parents? Or why couldn't they get another one to place there? So I, I totally get that. You know, one of the conversations that, as Bob, as you were talking earlier, just kind of jogged my memory about the two conversations it seems like I'm having the most with my listeners and with people that I interact with. From African-Americans, it's, you know, this is my experience. But from the Anglo side of it is, I want to say something in this conversation, but I feel like every time I, I'm trying to get on the freeway on foot, you know, every time I do, if I open my mouth, I'm going to get run over. I'm going to, you know, like, like I, someone's going to shoot me down on social media or something like that. Uh, what, how are you handling that type of thing in terms of saying for all of us as Anglos, uh, you know, and when something is racially charged and there's a lot of emotion behind it, um, what, I think what we're doing right now here is actually great in terms of being able to have the conversation and lay some things out here. But, uh, but what, what kind of, uh, what kind of feedback are you guys getting from your listeners of Bob or John, either one of you guys? Uh, well, as white, John, the whites and what do we, what do we say? You know, that type of thing. <laughs> uh, well, I, I can tell you, I mean, I get, I get the, the mix. I, I get people that are saying, yeah, Bob, Hey, I really, well, certainly, uh, between white and black and liberal and conservative and such, uh, African-American callers, I get a good solid mix. I get a lot of black callers who say, wow, Bob, I really appreciate you having the guts to talk about this instead of cowering under the table because you're a white guy. Uh, but then, of course, I get the African-American callers. You don't know what it's like. You're just a racist. OK, you're a Trump supporting racist and KKK dog whistles and you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, I run the gamut. John, I'm assuming you do, too. Yep. Yeah, exactly. In fact, we've got. 
uh, numerous, uh, you know, uh, I, I hate to use the term African-Americans, guys, because to the to our point earlier, it's really not even the, the correct term. We have right. many different people, some people that have different color skin than myself that are still Americans, that are still, you know, red-blooded, that, that still love this country. They call in some, you know, I've got lots of liberals, too, that call in as well. And frankly, a lot of liberals lately even are, are really kind of like I just said a moment ago on the abortion topic with conservatives. They're like, listen, while we believe there's some things that need changed, the way that, you know, the way that we liberals are going about this is completely the wrong way to make change. So I've got the entire gamut, but so far... I've not had a single person call in and actually be on the side of the rioters and the protesters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I have, (laughs) interestingly enough. Not that many, but but I have. One of the I wanted to ask you guys some, about something else. I, I don't know if any of you saw Oprah Winfrey's uh, comments that she made uh, the other day on this uh, on what's going on, but this is the kind of thing that just really makes my eye twitch. She compared what's uh, the, the plight of Black America today in 2020 to Jim Crow to Jim Crow laws. Uh, she said, uh, "Quote: Isn't it very much?" Like the days of Jim Crow, when a black man could be lynched and dragged through the town as an example to other people to see watching black men be shot on camera and nothing happens. So when this keeps occurring, it is re-traumatizing. And I think to myself, wait a minute, number one, nothing happened? That cop is being charged with murder and the three cops standing around are being charged with accessory to murder. But here was my observation on the Oprah thing, and I'd love to get you guys' take on this. I'm a white guy, okay, uh, and so I know I guess I'm not allowed to be offended on behalf of black people. But I got to tell you, to me, this is offensive for her to suggest something like this. Jim Crow is not happening in 2020, okay? In 2020, whites, there, there aren't whites-only drinking fountains and whites-only restaurants and hotels and black people can't use them and they have to sit at the back of the bus and, and such. I would love to be able to take Oprah Winfrey in a time machine, get Doc Brown's DeLorean, take her back in a time machine to the days of Jim Crow, and then introduce her to some people, introduce her to some black people in America during Jim Crow days, and say, this lady's name is Oprah Winfrey, she's from the future, she's 2020, and uh, from the year 2020, just so you know, she happens to be a multi-billionaire, a black man was just killed by a cop, and all four of them, the black man and the three standing around, have been charged with murder. We just finished having a two-term black president voted into office twice by mostly whites. The U.S. Surgeon General is black, as are U.S. Cabinet Secretaries. The chief of the entire U.S. Air Force has just been named as a black man. We've also had black Joint Chiefs of Staff, Secretaries of State, Attorneys General, and more. And then say, by the way, uh, this lady, you know, it's just like... The days of Jim Crow, isn't it? Say that to the people back then at Jim Crow and tell them, uh, mm-hmm. let them see what 2020 is really like with this multi-billionaire black woman, Oprah Winfrey. And they would say, what are you kidding me? Yet here she is today 
invoking Jim Crow and suggesting that that's what it's like today. It's that kind of dishonest pouring gasoline on this racial tension issue that I believe much of the liberal left is doing a lot of damage in this country. Okay, that's my rant. But it's like, stop it with the dishonesty. Yeah. Take the well take the gasoline <laughs> off of this debate and have an honest discussion on the actual facts. Yeah, well, well, Bob, so. I, I want to make one correction, and, and, it's a, and a good one, I think, for what you said. You said liberals. I think it's progressives. I, I, I really honestly think that we're losing the liberal, moderate, conservative continuum in the United States, yeah. and the progressives are eating liberals. And it's unfortunate, because no, I think right. when, when America was liberal, moderate, conservative, you know, and people were, they were worried about the fundamentalists on the hard right, progressives are taking over the Democrat Party, they're taking over liberals. Hey, and guys, let's call them what they really are. They're not progressives, they're communists. Let's call well, it what, what it really is. <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. being serious. That's really yeah, no, what it I, is. These, these are it, communists. These are not even liberal progressives. These are communists. Yeah. The or- Orwellian uh, language, you know, notwithstanding. Uh, but the excellent points. I appreciate it. No, that. very true. Uh, John, and I know we're kind of coming down to the end of this podcast. Uh, so I'd love to get your take on on the 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 kind of comments that Oprah Winfrey, this is the stuff they say on MSNBC, CNN, they are exaggerating what's really going on in race relations. And to me, I think that's dangerous uh, at a maximum and at a minimum, it dramatically slows down any kind of racial healing. Oh, I, I, I completely agree. And I'm just going to look up what Oprah's net worth is, by the way, real quick, because two point six you know, billion. Okay, two point six billion dollars. This is coming from a black woman worth two point six billion talking about right. race relations and how oppressed they are. Excuse me. Did I miss something here? Two point six billion seems to be like she's done very well in the United States of America being a black woman. Last time I checked, I think you're absolutely right. So I mean, no, no, guys, no offense. When somebody like her, of her stature, of her net worth, says the thing she's saying, it falls on deaf ears in my world because she's got no room to say anything about anything. I know, I know, and, and it, unfortunately, it just it, it it's making it's making racial tension in this country worse when you when you exaggerate. Which, by the way, I've always said when you have to exaggerate your position or opinions that's usually a good sign that the ice you're standing on is thinner than you want that's to right. admit and, uh, and maybe and one thing i want to add too for yeah. everybody listening because you may not all remember this it, how do i want to say this we still live in a land of opportunity and if there's anybody that ever proved we live in a land of opportunity it's oprah winfrey herself born in poverty right. raised by a mother dependent upon government welfare payments in a poor urban neighborhood she became a billionaire or a millionaire by the time she was 32 and is now a billionaire worth 2.6 billion don't tell me we don't live in a country where you can't make it no matter what your skin color is yeah, that's so true that is so true by the way you mentioned george orwell is classic book 1984 mm-hmm. it was written back in 1949 but mm-hmm. my goodness is this let me just read a quick excerpt from it quote every record has been destroyed or falsified every book rewritten every picture has been repainted every statue and street building has been renamed every date has been altered and every and the process continuing day by day minute by minute history has stopped nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right and that is very much the communist uh, fascist totalitarian movement that's being pushed right now by the radical left in this country and we need to call it out as we always always remember that our hope and our faith is in jesus christ not in society proclaiming well the truth we know that uh, it's a yeah. fallen world and it's 
continuing to fall further and further away. That doesn't mean that we don't fight for truth and justice in the American way, my Superman moment, but our, our, our hope and our faith is always in Jesus Christ because we know God's in control of all things. Folks, it's a nation, another National Crawford Roundtable podcast uh, in the bank. Don't forget you can listen to these podcasts at Apple Podcasts. We would love it if you would rate the podcast. Give us a nice five-star rating. Stitcher, tune in, Crawford.live, and more. And uh, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver. Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California. Myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. And, of course, the vacationing, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live in Buffalo, New York. Gentlemen, always great catching up with you. Thank you so much, as always, for your analysis and look forward to catching up with you again next week. Maybe, just maybe, things will start slowing down a little bit pretty soon. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) That would be. All right. Great talking (laughs) to you guys. Thanks. All right. You two guys. God bless everybody. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable. Roundtable podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Company production.